Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 170 of the Good Friars podcast. Um, today, we go over chapter four of the Gospel of Dr. Luke. Now, we're going to begin with the three temptations of Christ. A couple of things to point out here. Um, the order that the temptations take place in Luke differs slightly from Matthew. Why, we don't know. Uh, the second and third temptations are reversed. It's not a big deal, really. Um, but it's something that I thought I should point out. And when we look at these temptations, let's think to ourselves that first, you'll see that Christ is in the desert for 40 days. Uh, that number 40 days, you'll notice, comes up a lot, of, a lot in Scripture. Okay? But what this probably parallels to me is how long Israel spent in the desert during the Exodus. Also, if you remember when Moses uh, was on Mount Sinai, he went for 40 days without food on the mountain. Now, the parallel with Israel um, is stronger if you look at it as a comparison between Israel as God's son and Christ as God's son. Uh, that comes up in scripture in Exodus 4. Let me just pull it up here on this other computer. Uh, Exodus 4.22 here. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. That's an exodus. Another parallel, uh, another reference is, um, what is that? Hosea 11. Hosea 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to the idols. Now, remember what happened when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. If you don't, we'll go over, we'll go over the Exodus again um, uh, in our Bible studies. But what I'm pointing out here is that Israel was God's firstborn son. What happened? How did Israel do? Israel failed God, just like Adam and Eve failed God, just like man over and over again failed God. Babylon failed God. Man, humanity before the flood of Noah failed God. Well, again and again and again, God's children fail him. So what does he do? He creates his own unique son. Okay. Israel failed temptation. Okay. What happens with Christ who lived for 30 years before he was tempted by Satan himself? Okay. That's what we need to think about before we even think about reading these temptations. Now, I know these temptations are something that a lot of times pastors don't go over anymore because they refuse to talk about sin, but we must address our sin. We are filled with sin. We are living in stained bodies of flesh and bone, okay? Well, God was let down by man, so he created his own son, his perfect son, who could resist temptation? Well, what happened when God's perfect son faced temptation? Not the temptation of the daily lives that humanity leads, but the temptation of the evil one himself, Satan. Let's take a look. Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, 
verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. This, remember, was after the baptism. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. That reference is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. First thing we need to look at here is, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. What does that mean? Well, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be completely yielded to him. Okay, I say him because the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you completely yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And you are completely obedient to every word of God. A person who is completely filled with the Holy Spirit is emptied of all known sin and filled with the word of God. Well, how can you be filled with the word of God if you don't know the word of God? This is why it is important to feed yourself daily, daily on the Holy Scriptures. Okay. Second thing to think about here, it says, um, uh, uh, return from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Um, if you've never been to the Middle East, if you've never been to Israel, um, Jerusalem, uh, the center of Jerusalem is about uh, eh, 10 miles as the crow flies from the west bank of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. The Jordan River is north out of the Dead Sea, and Jerusalem is due west of that. Uh, due south, just a few miles from the center of Jerusalem, is Bethlehem, okay? Now, uh, in between uh, the area between Bethlehem and the west bank of the Dead Sea, it's, it's still a vast wilderness today. There's a monastery uh, out there, a beautiful monastery. Uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but uh, the word out, to, <laughs> the word out to uh, the road out, the word out to it. Excuse me, the road out to it is pretty rough. Uh, you'll tear up your car uh, unless you have a decent vehicle heading out there. But uh, when you do get there, there'll be uh, a bunch of children there saying, "Hey, if you give us fifty shekels, we'll watch your car for you to make sure nobody gets into it." Well, what they're saying is. Um, if you give them 50 shekels, they won't rob your car or tear it up. But anyway, still, uh, you know, that, that area uh, west of the Dead Sea today is still a wilderness today. Okay. So this area that we're talking about in Christ's ministry is, you know, is a very, very small area, you know, centered around Jerusalem. Okay. So 40 days comes up again. Okay, for 40 days, Jesus ate nothing at all that time and became very hungry. Well, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, okay, you are more resistant to temptation. What is hunger? Hunger is a temptation of the flesh. Okay, I, for example, am a fat person. Okay, everybody says, oh, you're not supposed to say that. Why not? It's true. Okay, my body has failed me in my old age. I can barely walk anymore. And I still eat, well, not as much as I used to, but I still eat more than I should because I appease uh, part of my uh, woefulness, my loneliness, my, my, my emotions. I'm an emotional eater. Well, many people are. Well, if you fill yourself with the Holy Spirit and you concentrate on it, you can resist eating. I've done it myself. I lasted for the last time I, I fasted. I used to fast all more often. I'm not going to say all the time, but I do want to get into it again. But I, I can't do it because I'm on so many medications that if I don't eat when I take the medications, it's, it's rough. 
you know, and I'm trying to get off of some of those, but hunger is a temptation of the flesh. Okay. So what is, what does Satan do here? Well, you'll notice the, well, I'll, I'll go, I'll go over what these temptations are, but well, I'll just do it now. The temptations that Satan does revolve around the body, the soul, and the spirit. Okay. Well, what he's appealing to as we get to these temptations are the lusts of the flesh. And the next two temptations will be the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life. Okay. Well, physical appetite is a lust for flesh. Okay. So the first thing that Satan is, and now if you think about this, okay, Satan says, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Well, is there anything wrong with what Satan did? Satan says, hey, if you're hungry, change this stone into a loaf of bread. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a sin to change stone to bread, is it? Okay. If you're Christ, you can easily do that. He took bread and fish and fed 5,000, the scriptures, but, you know, 15,000. He can do that. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. There's nothing wrong with really Satan saying, change the stone to bread. But what is wrong? What is wrong is for Christ to listen to Satan. Okay. So here's Christ not eating for, for 40 days. Satan says, hey, you're hungry. Change your stone to bread. No big deal. And it's not in and of itself. But because Satan was tempting him, because Satan enticed him. And when did Satan entice Jesus? When he was hungry beyond what human beings could ever conceive. Okay, we can live for more than 40 days without physical food. Okay, we can live that long, you know, with just water. Uh, there were studies done uh, where people live for, I forget how long. It just uh, I don't want to say because I'll, I'll misremember, but an inordinate amount of time without food and just water. We can do that. The amount of fat we store in our bodies in a normal, healthy human being can last an inordinately long time. Okay. But what Satan was doing here was tempting Jesus with temptations of the flesh. Christ was inordinately hungry. But what did he do? He resisted. He resisted and rebuked Satan with what? The word of God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the secret of strength in any conflict is to use the word of God in the right way. More important than physical satisfaction, satisfying the appetite of the body is satisfying, now that's the wrong word, is being obedient to the word of God, being obedient to the desires of God. How many human beings alive today could resist such a temptation, okay? And that's just one. You see, Christ was not only God, he was also man. God, by his very nature, cannot tempt, okay? But Christ was not only man, but God, not only God, but man. He ascends the imperfection of the flesh. Okay. He transcends would be a better word. The imperfections 
of the flesh, which is why he is our propitiation, the perfection of our redemption. What's next? Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now, let's think about this very carefully. And I apologize if you hear rain in the background. I have some uh, noise modifiers that should block it out. But right now it's raining and there's some mild thunder outside. So if you hear it, I apologize. But these little scriptures, we need to look at very, very carefully. Now, here, Satan says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. How could Satan do that? Okay, think about it. This is something that, that preachers just, just don't preach nowadays. Think carefully about it. Well, matter of fact, I'll just give you some examples. Look at this. Satan is the god of this age. Is that in scripture? Yes, it is. Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan is the ruler of this world. Is that in scripture? Yes, it is. John chapter 12, chapter 14, chapter 16. Satan is the prince and the power of the air. Is that in scripture? Yes, it is. Ephesians 2, 2. Well, if Satan has the ability to offer Jesus Christ all the kingdoms of the world and all the authority over all the kingdoms of the world, what does that mean? That literally means Satan is the king of this world. The world you are living in today belongs to Satan. Okay? Time and time again, everybody asks me, how can it be that we have all the crime in this world, that we have all the suffering in this world? Well, Satan is in charge of this world. Why? Because man defied God over and over and over again. Okay? In order for you and for me to leave a world that is run by Satan, we have something that we need to do, don't we? We have to acknowledge that we are sinners. We have to acknowledge that we have sinned and we need help. And the only help that will do you or me or anyone else in this world any good is to have our sins cleansed from us, washed from us, have that stain of sin scrubbed away from our bodies. And the only thing that can do that is the propitiation of Jesus Christ. We must repent of our sins and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
Now, everybody says, you've got to be wrong. God is God. Yes, God is God. God is absolutely God. And how many chances did God give humanity over thousands of years to get their act together? He hung out with, with Moses in, in, in the Sinai Peninsula for 40 years, and they still screwed up. They were too afraid to walk into the promised land because the mighty giants were there. Well, what had happened? Angels went in to see Lot and Babylon. Get out of here. What happens to the people that see the angels? They want to have sex with them. Lot says, no, here, have sex with my daughters instead. Abraham said, God, if I find 50, if I find 10, you know, there wasn't enough righteous people there to save the entire city of Babylon. How many righteous people are alive today? How many truly righteous people are alive today? Don't listen to man. Don't listen to me. Listen to the word of God. Listen to what I say. Read the scriptures. If I'm wrong, learn it. Where am I wrong? The only way you'll learn the truth is to study the word for yourself. The only way you can save yourself from eternal damnation is to admit that you're broken, admit that you're a sinner, repent of your sins, and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then, more importantly, don't just stop there. Don't just think that you're going to say some magic words. Jesus, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins, and I accept your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as my personal Savior. Are those magic words? Or does God know the truth of your heart? Okay? Works won't save you, but works are proofs of an inward condition. The evidence of your inward condition of being saved is your unquenchable desire to do the work of God in your daily life. The fruits of your faith will be proof of your inward condition of eternal salvation. Okay? Satan is in charge of this world. Look around outside. Watch the news. Well, there is no news anymore. When's the last time you saw an actual journalist do an accurately reported story? How many in this world are beyond redemption? Save yourself. Study the word of God. Realize that the only way to eternal salvation and to save yourself from eternal damnation is to humble yourself before Almighty God. And admit that you're broken and that you need saving. God gave you the lifeline that is Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, what else do we see in these verses where Satan offers Christ the kingdoms of the world? What else do we know? Well, Revelation eleven fifteen. We know that one day Christ will inherit these kingdoms. Okay? We know the kingdoms of this world will one day become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. 
Okay, We know that the end times are nigh. We don't know if it'll be today, tomorrow, 10 years, a thousand years. Something in my spirit tells me, as I've mentioned before, that we're coming up on that 2000 year anniversary. Okay. So it won't be very long, probably, but I could be wrong. You know, Christ himself said, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels, only the father knows. Okay, but if we look at our world today, man, it's messed up. And I truly feel sorry for this, these younger generations that uh, haven't lived in, in a time where families were more nuclear and more pure and took the time each week to at least acknowledge there's a God, even if they didn't live their lives as though they knew there truly is one. And that Christ is alive today. Okay, so take the time. Stop, stop wasting your time on menial things and dig into the word. And I'll try to record these more quickly. Matter of fact, something's telling me I need to try to record every day like I used to. I hope my body's up to it. I hope my throat's up to it. All right. Uh, verse eight. The next temptation. Oh, no. Uh, the, 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 verse 8 was uh, Christ's reply. The scriptures say, you must worship only the Lord your God. Verse 9. Then the devil took him to Jer Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Uh, that is a direct quote out of uh, Psalms 91, 11 and 12. Well, Christ could have done that. Okay. Christ could have done that. He could have jumped off. The angels could have saved him. You know, you know, but what is Christ's reply? Verse 12. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Christ, he left him until the next opportunity came. So, excuse me, I just took a drink. So what did Satan do? Satan tempted the body, the soul, and the spirit. He tempted the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He tested strong drives of the human body. He tested our physical, his, Christ, physical appetite. He tested his, I was going to say quest for power, but that would be wrong. Uh, humanity often desires power and things, okay? And he tested a desire for, uh, one way to say it is self-validation, and another way to say it is public recognition. Uh, I was going to go on a rant about social media here, but I don't think I will. Uh, the important thing to realize here is that all, in all three of the temptations, uh, what did Satan do? The temptations he gave to Christ in and of themselves often seemed legitimate. Okay, For example, my favorite one to use is telling Christ to turn stone into bread. In and of itself, there, there's nothing wrong with that. What was wrong was listening to Satan. How many temptations do we have in our daily lives where our conscience says, hey, maybe not do that, but we go ahead and do it anyway? Well, what is the lever? What is the impetus 
that drives us to work against our conscience. Okay? Satan. Okay? We must overcome all of the temptations, great and small. We must condition ourselves to resist that which does not lift ourselves further along our path to righteousness. Okay? Satan clothes everything in in pretty garb and pretty words. And what were those words? Those words were, were scripture. Often in our lives, we'll have people that, what I term pseudo-Christians, will tempt us with flowery words and even use scripture as a means to tempt you to do something your conscience is telling you is wrong. Okay? We must become wise and learn that the valley we live in is full of vipers. We must learn that power of discernment. Discerning what? What's right and wrong? What's righteous and what's not? And where does that power of discernment come from? It is literally a gift of the Holy Spirit. And how do you grow that Holy Spirit within you? By feeding yourself the Word. And one other point I'm going to say here is that uh, very few even theologians acknowledge this. It is extremely likely that there were considerably more than just three temptations. These three temptations that were written down uh, were simply an outline of what Satan uh, did. But it is highly unlikely that it is all the temptations that Satan had to endure. Now, this next verse, in verse 14, uh, there's going to be a, a gap here. There's a lot of gaps in scriptures, okay? This one you just recognize when you look at the context of what's going on between one section of scripture and another. The gap here is uh, somewhere around a year or so. The only um, canonical scriptures that cover the, the year gap is in the Gospel of John, chapters 2 through 5. Now, um, this next section here uh, deals with uh, Christ's rejection at Nazareth. And the first thing we're going to notice when we start verse 14 is the mention of the Holy Spirit again. Now, we saw Holy, the Holy Spirit mentioned um, at Christ's conception. Uh, we saw the Holy Spirit appear uh, during Christ's baptism. Um, we saw the Holy Spirit appear during the temptation of Christ. And now we see Dr. Luke mentioning the Holy Spirit again. Um, when Christ uh, returns to Nazareth. Now, let's go ahead and dig in chapter uh, uh, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him quickly spread through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Now, before I, I, I read uh, this uh, verse 17 through 19 here, I want to emphasize something that, that's very rarely mentioned. Uh, this, this, uh, this, this scroll that we're going to talk about is Isaiah. And this scroll is known, um, yeah, how do I say this? This is one of the, the epitome, that's the wrong word. This is one of the sacred scrolls in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, that mentions the ministry of the Messiah, 
okay? This long-awaited Messiah that the nation of Israel was waiting for. Now, uh, in the history of Israel, in the history of Judaism, they always believed that their Messiah would come as this great warrior, okay? And come and conquer anyone who was, who was, who was uh, trying to control or who were their overlords, okay? To free them again, from captivity as um, as God did from Pharaoh, okay? So this was a very well-known, very sacred scripture in Isaiah, okay? And when Jesus reads this, he reads it as if it's talking directly about him, which is significant, okay? Which is why preachers should emphasize that. So I'm going to read it as Christ probably did, okay? Now, <laughs> I, I wish I was there. I, oh, man, that would be so cool. But now, let's continue. Uh, chapter 4, uh, verse uh, 17. <clears throat> the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now that references um, Isaiah 61. Okay. Now, uh, this verse 19 here, and at the time of the Lord's favor has come, uh, I like the NIV translation better. Uh, the NIV reads, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay? Now, um, at that point, verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So what Jesus is saying here is saying, he's saying, I am the Messiah. Okay, that's why he read it that way. Okay, that's why he said the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released. This is absolutely huge. Okay, it's difficult for us to, to, to place ourselves in the context of sitting in a synagogue with a group of people whose, whose culture, whose religion, whose faith is centered upon the, 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 the prophesied Messiah who will come to rescue them, okay? And it's, 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 this pronouncement is just massive. Now, there, there's one other thing that I want to point out here. And what I'm going to do is use the NIV version again uh, because it's better. Christ left something out of, the, of, of, of Isaiah's uh, uh, prophecy there. Okay. And, and let me just read it to you here. Now, uh, sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from captives and release the darkness for, for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that's where Jesus stopped. What's the next verse? And the day of vengeance of our God. Okay. Well, what does that mean? First, the year of the Lord's favor, and next, the day of vengeance. Oh, what's the difference between those two? Well, that is the difference between the time of the Messiah, uh, the time of Christ at the time he was speaking there, 
the year of the favor of the Lord, okay, compared to what? Christ's second coming. You see, the purpose of Christ's first coming was to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, to present the age of grace, okay? The accepted time, the day of salvation. Christ is here to teach that their salvation has come, and their salvation is his sacrifice. When Christ returns the second time, it will be to proclaim the day of vengeance, of the Lord. That's Christ's second coming. Okay? Now, he intentionally left that out. Well, what happens next here? Okay? Christ says, the scripture you just hear has been fulfilled this very day. Verse 22. Everyone spoke well of, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked? Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. And that's where Christ was in that year uh, gap there, okay? Verse 24, but I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, when, when we read this as, as Christians in the 21st century, we, we might not understand why, uh, why the people of the, of, the, of the synagogue became so upset and tried to throw Christ off a cliff, okay? Well, What's going on here is Christ brought up um, uh, two famous incidents in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, now, Elisha and Elijah were, were the greatest prophets, uh, two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament times, okay? Now, the incidents that he brought up of the famine and the leprosy and so forth, well, during the famine and, and, and the leprosy that he's talking about, um, at that time, the Jews were, 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 were ah, what's the right word to use here? Um, they lacked proper faith, okay? And so what happened is Elijah and Elisha healed Gentiles instead of Jews. Now, to us, that might not mean anything, but, but uh, the nation of Israel placed Gentiles at the lowest of the low, okay? I don't know a, a proper way to, to put that into context, really. Who would we as American, who would I as an American think of a low person? I wouldn't think of anyone as a low person, Okay. Uh, I think all children of God, all human beings are children of God. I don't care if you're white, black, purple, polka dot, or plaid. But there's, there's an inherent extreme bias at this time of the Jews against the Gentiles. They just thought they were filthy, nasty, dirty. 
okay? And for Christ to come up and say, hey, you know, the great prophets healed Gentiles instead of Jews. What he's doing is slapping them across the face, across the face, okay? Well, and their faith <laughs> as well, okay? He's, he's basically giving them the smackdown, okay? Right there, right in the temple, Christ is just slapping them right across the face. What he's saying is what happened in Old Testament times, okay, with Elisha and Elijah is going to happen again, okay, where Christ is going to be, to be, to be um, overlooked, disbelieved by the nation of Israel, okay? He would be rejected by the nation of Israel, Okay? What, what Christ is saying is anyone who believes, Gentile, Jew, or not, is above a Jew. In other words, if you're a Gentile and you believe, you're greater than a Jew. And that's just, that's just I, <laughs> I was going to use the word blasphemy, but blasphemy, well, to them it would be blasphemy, but it's not blasphemy, but to them it would be. Okay, it was, it was, just, it was just rude upon rude. You see, Christ was not politically correct. What he would do is tell you the truth above all else. Okay? And that's why a lot of people don't like me. I'll just tell the truth. And they, well, you can't do that. Well, yes, I'm going to. I'm sorry. And, and that's what I'm telling you here is what Christ did. He told them the truth. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. What matters is whether or not you have faith. That's why Christ is here. That's why the Messiah came. That's why he's about to be tortured, crucified, die, and be buried, and be resurrected. Why? Because all human beings need that perfect sacrifice. Okay? That perfect blood must be shed for our sins. And Christ just, just laid it right out to him, point blank, uh, without any any flowery words, and that just infuriated them beyond belief, okay? And so they tried to throw the Messiah off a cliff. Okay, that brings us to verse 31. Then Jesus went to Capernaum a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. Sabbath day is Saturday, by the way. I'm sure most of you knew that. Verse 32. There, too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Once he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Now, here I wanted to compare. I can't read my handwriting. Uh, oh, I wanted to compare King James. Uh, King James here with verse 33. Once the man uh, was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. Now, I like the. Uh, now, notice here in the King James it says, And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice. Uh, I like to point out that demons are real. Unclean spirits are real. What is the difference between an unclean spirit and a demon? I'm not 100% sure. One of the things I always wanted to do in my life was study that, but uh, I, f I feel it's more important to study Scripture instead. But that's why uh, I, I, myself, when I pray, like, well, just today, before I started uh, today's Bible study, one of my frequent prayers is, Heavenly Father, if there are any unclean spirits, agents of Satan, demons, or Satan himself within my mind, heart, body, or soul, around my home, or anywhere near me, 
I purge them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Okay? And I think that's important for everybody to do, literally to go around your home uh, purging unclean spirits. If you are saved, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you read the Word, hopefully at least every day, Okay, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You can command unclean spirits to leave your person in your home. And I think it's a very important thing to do. I actually sleep better when I do that. Uh, but I just wanted to point that out. Okay, uh, Different translations, they use unclean spirits. Notice here in the NLT that we're using for these lessons, uh, because it's best for beginners, it translates to a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, okay? And when it says that, there's a demon hyphen, evil spirit hyphen, okay? And, and I think it's important to point that out because if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit within you. It is your right as a child of God to ask the Holy Spirit to aid you. Some say to command the Holy Spirit. Personally, I think that's wrong. I ask the Holy Spirit. I do command demons and unclean spirits to leave me and people if they ask me to do it. I have done that. But uh, I just wanted to point that out. Okay. Verse 36. Uh, oh, the other thing I wanted to point out before I forget is notice here immediately all times that we see Christ casting out demons, they recognize him, okay? What does the demon say? In this case, it's a singular demon. Uh, later on, we'll, uh, and, and, and in different Gospels too, we'll see Christ uh, come up across a man that's inhabited by a legion of demons. They literally call themselves legion, Okay? So not only can we be inhabited by one, we can be inhabited by many. And then later on, well, we'll get to that. But I want to point out that demons immediately know who Christ is. Okay? Excuse me. <clears throat> Verse 36. Amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. Verse 38. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she got up at once and prepared a meal for him. Now... Notice here a couple of things. Who was Simon? Simon is Simon Peter, okay, the apostle. What else do we notice about Simon? Simon's mother-in-law, thus Simon Peter, was married, okay? For those faiths that proclaim celibacy is necessary, is hogwash, okay? In my earlier lessons, I gave a little bit background on why uh, the Catholic Church decided to uh, uh, <laughs> invoke celibacy. It was for monetary reasons. The priests had large families, and they didn't want to pay for them. Okay, and that's just—it's just you know that and praying to the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary is uh, you know great, the Holy Mother. But you don't pray to the Virgin Mary, as we'll get to when Christ uh, deals with his mother in, in other scriptures. All right. Mary is very, very important. She was very righteous. Otherwise, God wouldn't have chose her as the vessel to grow his, his, uh, his only begotten son. Okay? Verse 40. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them 
and refused to let them speak. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around, preaching in the synagogues throughout Judea. Oh, how wonderful would it have been to be alive and walk with Jesus Christ. I mean, just, just to listen to him teach and preach. What a gift. What an honor. But what we have, ladies and gentlemen, is a great honor to read his words, to grow his spirit within you. It truly is a blessing. Now, something that uh, I had someone, uh, I was going to say the other day, but it was back when I was streaming uh, every day, but I don't, I just don't have time for that anymore. But uh, someone asked me to, to counsel them, and I did. And uh, we got on a, a, a video link and, and chatted for, for quite a while. And the first thing he said was, I find it difficult to read the word. I'll read for a while, and then I'll grow tired. And, and that's absolutely true. If, if you first start reading the word and you and you get tired or if your mind floats away or you begin to get headaches, that's absolutely normal. And it's a good thing. Well, why do I say that? The reason it's a good thing is if you begin to grow tired, if you begin to feel resistance, that's Satan trying to grab hold of you and to keep you from getting away from him. Okay? That's a good thing. Why is it good? Because Satan knows you can escape if you fight it. Satan knows you can get away from him. Why? Because you don't belong to Satan. You belong to God. Okay? So fight through that. Strive harder. Read more each day. And your spirit will grow stronger. And the stronger your spirit grows, the less the resistance. That's like if you stop reading for a while and you come back to it, it'll be hard again. And then you have to fight through it again and again, because the more time you spend away from the word, the stronger the grasp of Satan can get a hold of you because you've allowed the spirit to weaken within you. Remember, you're living in Satan's world. Okay. The less time you spend in the word, the weaker the spirit becomes within you. You have to fight it. You have to grow the spirit within you. Very, very important. Okay. Now, please remember to subscribe and please place a like on whatever podcast uh, app you're listening to to help grow the podcast uh, to a wider audience so that more people can be saved and learn the word. Please, please do so. As always, feel free to go to goodfriar.com and email me. I'll be more than happy to speak with you in any way that you feel comfortable. If you're only comfortable with email, that's fine. If you're only comfortable with text, that's fine. I'll text you. I have no problem with that. If you're comfortable with video, I'll do that too. If you're close by, I can't drive very far. My, I'm, I just can't do it. Uh, I'll go out to dinner with you, okay? No problem, okay? It's important to commune with fellow believers. As always, I'll lay a blessing of the Lord upon you. Heavenly Father, please allow this blessing to hold the grace of your love, the grace of your touch to the children that are listening to your word. Number 624, 26. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. God bless you all. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.